Welcome to our fourth episode for our project. Today we're going to be talking about the uh, sung parts of the Mass. Uh, once again, I'm Michael Sauter, and I'm with Joe Gudjavich here. Hello, Michael. So it's good to be with you again. Um, we talked last time in episode three about the nature of sacred music and the, the centrality of the voice in the liturgy and... Um, now I think we're ready to get into some of the parts of the Mass that are sung, um, the sung parts of the Mass. And I guess to begin, we just need to make a very basic distinction. Um, so we've got this word proper. You used it last time, actually, but we're going to use it in a slightly different way today, I think. Uh, but also the word ordinary, which also doesn't mean quite that, what we usually ordinarily use it for. Uh, so what do, we, what do we mean by these words? Right. Right. Uh, you're right. Ordinary doesn't mean every day. And it doesn't mean ordinary as opposed to extraordinary, <laughs> as in the masses. Um, proper comes from a Latin word, which means its own. And so the propers are the, the part that belongs to the daily mass, the particular mass you're doing. So if you're doing the Gaudete Sunday mass, which is the third Sunday of Advent, mm -hmm. the things that are proper would be the things that you would only say on Gaudete Sunday. Ordinary means that it's said in all masses of that sort throughout the year. It means that it's part of the structure of the mass. So the propers change from yeah, mass to mass, and the right. ordinary remains the same. Okay, so we're talking about texts of the mass here. Right, um, right. I mean, I think people would be familiar with the ordinary texts once you started listing them. I mean, the texts that are sung. Right. Um, the so ordinary texts. The ordinary texts are the Kyrie eleison. The Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. The Credo. I believe, which in the Latin Mass and in the tradition is a song text, but for those right, who are not yeah. familiar with the Latin Mass, they will think of it as a spoken text. The Sanctus Holy, Holy, Holy. And the Agnus Dei. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These are the five ordinary parts of the Mass. Okay, so those I think most people are familiar with, but the propers, uh, there are also five propers in the Mass. These are sung texts again, so uh, what are these? The one that would be most familiar to, to people who uh, are less familiar with the traditional Latin Mass would be the Alleluia. In the Reform, they gave the option of having a psalm response, which takes the place of one of them called the Gradual. These two are the two propers that people are most familiar with because they're they're the two that are part of the liturgy of the word that are always done. Yeah. But there are actually three others. 
So there is the introit. which means entrance antiphon. It is done at the beginning of Mass as the priest is processing in or when the priest reaches reaches the foot so of the that altar. Would be, we would usually do a hymn or a song at this point. Yeah, instead. Um, yeah, and then after the entrance antiphon comes the two parts that we already mentioned, which, right. are, which, which are the gradual, which is a very short, unlike the psalm response, a very short passage from, from the psalms. Yeah. And then the Alleluia, which in Lent is replaced with what's called a tract, but the Alleluia includes the Alleluia and then a passage from the Psalms. Yeah. And then after the Creed comes the Offertory Antiphon, which is a uh, part of, of where the priest offering the sacrifice to God at that point. And then finally, the Communion Antiphon. which takes place when the congregation receiving communion, when the priest is cleansing the vessels. Okay, so these proper texts then, um, where where do they come from? I mean, are they just texts the church has written, or what, what are they? Yeah, some of them are tra- texts that the church has written. Those are called ecclesiastical compositions, but the ecclesiastical compositions are far outnumbered from texts that are just from scriptures. Yeah. And uh, mostly, they have what's called an antiphon and a response, and the responses, the antiphons might be ecclesiastical texts, but the responses are almost always passages from the Psalms. Mm. Nine out of ten times you can say, well, this this part is going to be from the Psalms. The Psalms is like are like the prayer book of the church. Mm. Everything that the church wants to express to God is contained in the Psalms, and uh, so so those so she draws from them the church draws from them liberally and uh she finds within them everything that she's looking for to express her desires to the lord okay do these chants take on different characters i mean are there different sort of styles within sort of the ordinary chants or the propers that we can see the the question is even in the musicality of it can you tell what one chant is from another and the answer is yes yes in fact the uh introit is going to have a, a pretty similar musical structure to the offertory and the communion they're not going to be just completely one note per per syllable or a few notes per syllable but they will might have five six this is you see one note per syllable is called pneumatic and so they're not completely pneumatic, but then having lots and lots and lots of notes per syllable is yeah. called melismatic, and they're not completely melismatic either. Somewhere they're between. like sem- semi-melismatic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so they they have less of a meditative sort of sort of function. The psalm verses themselves are done in a very simple psalm tone, which just have basically one note. They're completely pneumatic, one note per syllable. Uh, and so whenever you have a psalm verse as opposed to an antiphon, those those will be pretty much one note per one, mm-hmm. as opposed to the gradual, which I, I don't know. I should have looked this up before coming here. There's one gradual that has some incredible number of notes on one syllable, like 
60 or 90 or something <laughs> like that. And, and it just keeps on going on and on and on and on. It has this lingering, lingering exposition on, on one word. And these notes very often illustrate a little bit of what's going on when they talk about heaven these notes go up and when they talk about the hell these notes go down and you know they they have uh when they're talking about exaltation there's a quick jump in the notes and when they're meditative they kind of slide down quite slowly and so there's sort of all the human emotions that they're expressing are conveyed now in the alleluia the alleluia contains uh the alleluia is done through singing a simple melody and then the melody is repeated. And then there's this lingering meditation on the last note called the Jubilus. The jubilus, it literally means the cry of joy. Hmm. And it comes from an early Christian custom that sometimes our worship of God could not be contained just in the rational words that we could speak, but that it had to explode beyond words into a cry of joy. Uh, St. Augustine talks about this. He says, I'm about to say what you know. One who jubilates, that is, one who who cries the jubilus, utters not words, but it is a certain sound of joy which, without words, for it is the expression of a mind poured forth in joy, expressing as far as it is able the affection, but not compassing the feeling. A man rejoicing in his own exaltation after certain words which cannot be uttered or understood bursts forth into sounds of exaltation without words, so that it seems that he indeed does rejoice with his voice itself, but as if filled with excessive joy, cannot express in words the subject of that joy. And this is associated with the joy that the Holy Spirit brings into the heart of the yeah. Christians, where they, right. they have to burst forth in, in expressive songs of joy, principally in the Alleluia. But it's worth noting that in the ordinary chants of the Mass— even though the Gloria and the Creed are pretty pneumatic, the Kyrie is pretty melismatic, and particularly on the ninth repetition of, of, of the Kyrie, which is traditionally considered to be directed toward the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. there is an added set of notes, which is very much like the Jubilus and the Alleluia, and a kind of cry of joy to the Holy Spirit. not it's not just penitential it's recognizing the steadfast love of the holy spirit and the gifts that he gives to us and so it burst forth in joy at the end and to finish out the the ordinary parts the uh sanctus and the anus dei while not melismatic they have 
have more notes and a more lingering kind of sense about yeah. them than the Gloria and the Creed, but not quite as much as the introit. So we have these different levels of intricacy and, and meditation and speed and the like about the different pieces. So we've talked about, in the last episode, we talked about you know, bringing out the text, but clearly this is not a purely just rational sort of the meaning, get it across. It's also feeling the meaning. It's, it's singing with the emotion in its proper place as well, um, which gives it so much more power. This isn't just a dry sort of recitation or something. No, it, it, it has so much life it has the life of the spirit and you would expect that because it grew out of that living faith of christians that the holy spirit poured on the church the liturgy is part of the guidance of the holy spirit throughout time and when you allow it to form your heart you experience that yeah and so I just want to briefly look at the structure of these then um uh the thing that seems to pop out about these you call them antiphons or verses, there's an antiphon and then there's a verse, um, is the antiphonal nature. I mean, what do we mean by an antiphon exactly? Yeah, remember remember how we said that the liturgy is this cosmic liturgy that includes what is below and what is above. It, it includes heaven and it includes earth. Right. But principally, we might say it is a heavenly liturgy. It is where heaven consumes us. And so it's an imitation of what's going on in heaven. It is filled up with the same sort of things that you see in the book of Revelation. So what's going on in heaven? Well, the vision of Isaiah in Isaiah 6 tells us what's going on in heaven. There are seraphim, and they're standing above above the, the Lord. And each one has six wings, and two cover his face, and two cover his feet, and he flies with two, and one cries to another and sings, Holy, holy, holy. And the other cries back, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This cry back and forth, Holy, 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 holy. That was how the choirs of the temple were built, where, where they would cry back and forth the psalms. And that is how the church always prays, too, with this prayer, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's called antiphonal singing. So, the antiphon, the word comes from antiphonal singing, singing back and forth and back and forth. Right. This this antiphonal singing, it's between whom? I mean, who's singing at each other? Well, the whole Mass is like a song. When we sing the Mass, we have the priest and the people sing back and forth, uh, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We also have this back and forth between the choir and the people sometimes, or sometimes between one choir and another. won't see this done very often at mass but all of the all of the the, the gloria and the creed are both 
done in this antiphonal style where if you look at the way that it's actually written out in the music, the priest will sing glory to God in the highest and one choir will sing and on earth peace to men of goodwill. And the other choir will sing we praise you and the first choir will sing we bless you and yeah. the second choir will sing we adore you, right? And and back and forth like that. And it is done that way in some some places. It's it's uh, uh, done that way, for instance, at the Pope's masses and it's done that way uh, at a lot of religious institutes. Um, I mean, that's, that's the antiphonal singing there. The structure is a little bit less obvious in some of the propers, but you can still see it through the use of the antiphon, because like in the introit, the whole choir will sing the antiphon, and then one choir will sing the first part of the psalm verse, and the second choir will sing the second part of the uh, psalm verse, yeah. and then the whole choir will repeat the antiphon. Right. And so you have this singing back and forth, back and forth, through the psalm verses and the antiphons. And it's permitted, um, but not usually done for a people that has been well-educated in the music to sing the antiphons along with the choir, so that you would then get sort of the, the singing of the antiphon by the people in the choir, and then the psalm verse by by the choir, and you get this kind of singing back and forth between the choir, an imitation of the angels. So it's it's at every level in the in the church that the that they are uh, sung antiphonally. Yeah. So you're you're using this word choir. Is that a technical word, or is it just kind of the people that happen to be singing up in the in the loft or whatever? Pius the tenth refers to them as the Levitical choir. Um, it kind of takes the place of the priests who were stationed in the temple to sing the praises of God. And even though it doesn't necessarily have to be priests or deacons or or clerics nowadays, originally it was priests and deacons and clerics. And you can imagine the whole church representing the body of Christ, where at the altar is the priest and the deacon and the subdeacon who represents the head and all of his ministers there. Yeah. And then originally you would then have a choir like that looked like a neck actually it was two pews that faced each other yeah, that right. went between the nave where the congregation stood and the and the priest and on one side you would have one choir and on the other side you would have you would have the other choir and that way they could sing the praises of god back and forth between them nice. and then after the communion rail you would have the people which is like which is like the body so you have the whole christ that is contained there now because we don't usually have churches that are filled with clerics that are filled with priests and deacons subdeacons and acolytes and the like um we've generally moved the choir back to the back of the church so this image is uh injured a little bit and yet we still have the choir being part of the singing of the praises of god on behalf of and with the People. The choir is still doing a kind of priestly action. Interestingly enough, in one of the early documents from the first millennium, it says that the names of the choir have to be submitted to the to the priest before mass begins. <laughs> and if anyone then sings who was not on the name of the choir, he's automatically excommunicated. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we don't we don't have that sense anymore. And this role is it has an independence to it because the choir, even while the priest is saying the prayers at the altar, is singing 
is, is like an overlap. So striking to people who first come to the traditional Latin mass that there's not just one thing happening, that everybody is doing what's proper to them, sometimes at the same time. And the prayers at the foot of the altar is the most obvious obvious instance of this. The priest and the servers are saying, saying one set of prayers, and normally the choir is singing part of the praises of God, yeah. and the people are are participating each in their own way according to their own ability to enter into the mass you know all of the different abilities of the, of the people of god are all contained in there all the different charisms are all present there right the microcosm as you talked the about the microcosm yeah that's right it seems as if when we're talking about the sung parts of the mass we're talking about something that forms this harmonious whole this this organism and that is just strikingly beautiful especially when it's done as it should be done in, in a sung mass. Uh, thank you, Joe. That has been that's a great image to be take to take away from this. Thank you very much, Mike.